Welcome back to the Yay for Business podcast. It's me, Courtney Shaw, and in today's episode, we're going to talk about six key mindset shifts that you need to make if you want to start making six figures from your business per year. All right, so we are on this kick right now talking about making $100,000, six figures, all of that. Oh my God, I did an episode last week on the math behind making $100,000 a year. That was because my episode on the 50K math was our number one episode, and I was like, how can we top that? Well, let's talk about 100K math, all right? So here's what you guys know. If you've been listening to the episodes of this podcast, and if you haven't, this is your first one, like, welcome, no problem. Uh, You'll definitely enjoy some of those past episodes, but you're totally fine jumping in here. I'm all about breaking down the practicalities of, I'm a very pragmatic person, okay? The practicalities of you know, what does the math look like to hit $100,000? But you also know that when it comes to making things happen, to hitting a goal, there's always two key pieces that you need to have. You need to have the strategy, of course. You need the step-by-step. What do I do? Where do I click? What do I create? Where do I put it? How do I promote it? All the how-to stuff. Very important. I don't want to diminish that. But the other piece you definitely need to have as well is the mindset piece. And when it comes to going after big goals, the mindset piece just gets more and more and more and more important. And the more you're uncomfortable and the more you doubt something is possible for you and the more you have excuses for why you can't do something or the more challenging something is for you, then the more mindset stuff there is. That's It's really, again, very pragmatic, very simple. There's so many different mindset shifts that I could have gone with and I could talk about this all day. I could do a course on this. We could hang out, grab a beer and chat about this all the live long day. However, I was like, I want to find six beliefs that I feel like are just absolutely essential. They're maybe not exactly what you've heard before. And of course, the word I'm going to use again is they're very pragmatic. They're very practical. They're things that you can actually feel like you can hold on to and understand, not these like airy fairy ideas ideas that you're like, okay, that sounds nice, but how does that actually work in my life? Which has always been my biggest frustration with so much mindset work and honestly, a lot of what coaches and people teach in general. So before we get into that, my shameless plug time, our virtual conference is coming up so soon. In fact, it is next week. So if you have not gotten your ticket yet, what are you doing? So we're doing a whole virtual conference December 8th and 9th with a special bonus day on the 10th, which we'll tell you more about on the 8th when you show up at the first day of the conference. And it's called From Service Provider to Course Creator. And again, very practical, very what? Pragmatic. We're going to talk about exactly what needs to happen, give you that plan of how do you actually book out your services, streamline them, make sure you continue making money from your services, but reduce the amount of effort, time, hours that it takes for you, and then make sure that you're putting all the pieces together to transition into a successful course-based business, which is something that I love talking about. I love talking about this transition in this place where you have services and courses, and maybe you're trying to ramp up the courses and making sure you do this really intentionally. And oh, I don't want to like spoil anything because I'm going to talk about a lot of that in today's episode. So I'll just weave it throughout the six mindset shifts. So I'm just going to cut myself off there. 
To get your ticket, it's only $25 and you can get it at CourtneyShawl.com forward slash conference. The link is in the show notes. You can always come over to Courtney, uh, me, to me, Courtney Shawl, at Courtney Shawl on Instagram and the link is there. Send me a DM. Let me know you got your ticket. I just, I love chatting with you guys. So that's that on that. Okay, let's dive into these six beliefs of six figure entrepreneurs. And for each one, I'm all about this concept of like, let's take a belief you currently have and let's flip it on its freaking head. Like, I'm not just going to be like, oh, here's some beliefs you can have. I want to be like, here's a belief you already have that is literally going to stop you from making $100,000 from your business. And let's just like reframe the crap out of it so that now it's just so much more powerful. I love to take a belief and literally make the opposite true. I'll show you what I mean by this in here. This is some of my favorite work. You can consider this a little bit of a tease of what coaching with me is like inside of Yay for 100K because this is my jam. I could talk about this all the day. Okay, so the first belief that I want you to start to be open to um, adopting, adapting, adopting, I always confuse those words, is this one. I own the business. Ooh, feels good. Okay. I own the business. If you are like in your car or something and you can just like scream this out loud, do it. I own the business. Okay. So I own the business is a direct result. The reason I picked this belief isn't just because, oh, it's a nice belief, but it's a belief that is going to transform your identity and the way that you view your business. Because right now, what most of you guys believe is something to the effect of, I am the business. And again, if you've listened to my podcast, if you've been binging all the episodes, you know that I talk about this ad nauseum, but we're going to talk about it some more because it's so important. You might be walking around with this feeling like my business is me and I am my business. I cannot separate myself from my business and I cannot separate my business from me. As I mentioned in a previous episode, you're viewing it as you are the machine. And instead of that, you need to become the creator, the builder, the tweaker, the engineer of the machine. Okay, so you are not the machine. You are the builder of the machine. The business is the machine. You are not the business. Okay, so important. A lot of you loved that machine metaphor, so I'm going to use it more. I'm just going to incorporate that into my everyday branding and language and marketing because so many of you are like, that was the reframe that I needed. Okay, so you own the business. You own the machine. The business is a machine. Okay, I hope that there's already something kind of happening for you visually there because that's what's going to help you to hold on to this concept and start to incorporate it into your identity and just the way that you view your business, right? Because you are so much more than a business. Like you're not even a business. Like you were never a business. You have a business. You own a business. And even let's say like the things you do in your business, you are so much more than those things. So it's very dangerous anytime, you guys, you use the words I am Whatever comes after that better be what you want to identify with. And I'm going to just side note here on this sidebar because I want to just show you how this is effective in lots of different areas, not just business, is I have someone in my life who was diagnosed with bipolar several years ago. And I remember when this person was diagnosed with bipolar that the doctors were saying, you are bipolar, like you're, you're a bipolar person. And I started to think about this. I was like, Why is it when you have a mental illness that you 
are it. And when you have cancer or a broken arm or, you know, COVID, let's say, you don't say, oh, you are COVID. You are cancer. That would be crazy. Like, can you imagine if somebody got diagnosed with cancer and they're like, oh, you're cancer. (laughs) Just sounds like maybe the most insulting thing you could say to someone. So the same thing happens with mental illness. I think it's because it's in the brain and we have this whole thing about our brain is our identity. We can talk about that another time. But I've always been like, never say you are it. So I've talked a lot about ADHD. I won't say I am ADHD. Now, I might have said that, but I more often than not, I'm going to say I have ADHD. ADHD is a part of my life. But the second I say I am something, you know, my business is me. I am the business. Um, I am anxious. I am, you know, I am anxiety, right? Imagine that. People do say I am depressed, right? I have depression, I feel like is so much more effective. It creates that separation between who you are at your core and this quality that is separate from you. So I want you to start doing this with your business because I think this is going to be really powerful for you. You are a multifaceted person. You have a lot of qualities. You have a lot of interests. You have different identities that you wear and roles that you play in your life. Um, And none of that is who you are, but you are, and I'm not going to get into that. We could say you are consciousness. We could get into this, you know, esoteric conversation. But at the end of the day, if we're going to talk about who you are, we might as well add in more of the facets of you so that you can start to balance out this identity. And one thing I did at a retreat, a business retreat uh, several years back is we were challenged to make a list of things about us, things part of our identity, things we love, passions, did not include our business. And what what I remember what the person hosting the retreat said, she was like, I want you to make a list of 20 things. And the woman who was sort of like over identifying with her business was like, oh, 20. And then the retreat host was like, okay, now it's 50. Okay, so you are infinite. There's an infinite number of things we could put on a list, but I really wanna challenge you to ask this question to yourself, who are you other than an entrepreneur, right? Like, what are the other parts of you? And when I did this, when I started thinking about this more, that's when I started getting back into things like figure skating, um, exploring more my creativity, uh, my love of drawing, you know, different uh, just subjects I was interested in learning about that were not about business. We need to have influences and parts of ourselves that are not related to the business so that we can have this healthier approach to our business and, and spoiler alert, that's going to also help your business because you're going to be a more interesting, inspired, creative person when you stop considering yourself to be synonymous with your business. So here's the thing. The next time I hear one of you say, I am my business, I'm going to say, well, hello, my business. I'm Courtney. Because it's ridiculous for you to say that. All right. And you can call me out on it as well, because I'm sure I say that from time to time. Your business success is not a matter of your identity or your self-worth. It's just a game. We're going to talk about that later. It's a matter of you being the builder, creator, visionary, game player of the game, not you are the piece on the game board, okay? Over-identifying with this business is going to cause you to take things personally. For example, if you don't book a client or you don't have as many clients as you want or a client makes a comment about your work or you get feedback from a client that you don't like or they ask for a refund or something like that, you're going to take it personally instead of viewing it as just a part of business 
which it is. All of that is just a part of business. And expecting it not to be is is actually delusional, but like actually is delusional. So when you own the business, when you stop to consider yourself to be the business and you start to own the business, you're able to look at your business more critically because it's not criticizing you, your essence of who you are. It's just feedback on a thing that you're building that you want to make better. You'll be able to get to the point where you're, you can hire, outsource, delegate more and do it better because you'll be willing to allow people on your team to make decisions and mistakes and work with clients because you aren't like, oh my God, I am the business. So if someone on my team doesn't do it exactly the way I do, like you have like a mental breakdown because there's like cognitive dissonance there. It literally breaks the logic of I am the business if someone else is working your business, doing things not the way that you would, which is why I think entrepreneurs hold on so tightly to the work and why we can be so bad at actually delegating work to people on our team or people that we hire. And it will allow people on your team to make mistakes and learn and take ownership of the work, which will actually give you more freedom. So this is really key to start working on in order to get your business to the point of making six figures because your business has to become bigger than you. You're going to be able to help clients get bigger transformations and bigger results without them having as much access to you. This is what I'm talking about when I always say in my marketing, I always say, I want to help you to actually work less, but make more money and have happier clients. It's because right now that doesn't make sense to you because you can't imagine having more clients, but working less. We need to remove you from some of the process where you think you're necessary right now, but that's because you're over-identifying with your business. Um, And this will allow you to allow your business to grow to be bigger than you. It can't be bigger than you if it is you. It doesn't make sense. You'll be able to serve more people than you can physically do all of the work for. You'll be able to make money while you're on vacation. You're not actually doing the work. So I hope you can see all the facets in which changing this belief of I am my business to um, I own the business is going to change your life. Okay? That's belief number one. Belief number two. Ooh, They're all so good. All right. Belief number two, the past is not the future. Okay. I'm going to get ranty about this one. All right. This one fascinates me. I cannot tell you how many times I've had DM conversations or client conversations or conversations in any other place where I've had people tell me that the reason why they don't want to invest in their business, whether it's with me or someone else or whatever, is because they say, I've bought courses in the past and I never used them. Or it could even be I invested in coaching in the past and it was a disappointment. I'd had a bad experience. The person didn't deliver on their promise. Like it could be that too, right? So it could be something like that or it could be, oh, You know, I'm not cut out for uh, doing Facebook Lives or Instagram Lives because I did them before and nobody showed up, right? This is the kind of thing, if you pay attention, you'll hear people all the time using their past to limit their future, okay? This one really amazes me because people will argue, they will argue tooth and nail about this. I have an Instagram post where I went on a thing about the past is not the future. Stop making decisions for your future based on your past. People were up in arms and you might feel up in arms a little bit right now because we have this thing about, no, we need to learn from the past. 
And I agree, right? Like, I agree you need to learn from the past, except when they're doing this, they're not learning from the past. They're using evidence of what's happened in the past, of proof of what's possible in the future. That is not learning from the past. That is getting yourself into a weird, self-fulfilling prophecy loop that will never end. Learning from the past is examining what happened and being a detective, being a scientist, and asking critical questions like, okay, you know, let's talk about the Facebook Live thing because this this is a really good example. You know, I've done Facebook Live before. Nobody showed up. I was really uncomfortable. It's just not my thing. Okay. So I would have a few questions about that if I were this person. I would think, okay, is it important for people to show up live? Like, what is causing me to be so focused on people showing up live? Is that actually important? Or if I just jump to that because it's this vanity metric that my ego likes. Because the truth is, as Courtney, as the coach, I would tell you, I could care less if people show up live on my Facebooks. That's not my my Facebook lives. That's not my goal of a Facebook live is to have people show up live. In fact, most people come after the fact and watch it after. We use Facebook lives a lot of times to warm up Facebook audiences to use for Facebook ads. So my goal of going on live on Facebook is not to get as many people on live as possible. It's to create some really juicy content that I can then share afterwards. So that's interesting, right? Okay. Then I might ask the question about, you know, I was, I was awkward. I didn't feel comfortable. Are you always comfortable doing something the first time that you ever do it? Right. And especially something that involves, you know, a new technology speaking publicly, which is for a lot of people scary anyway. So what is causing you to assume that you should be great at something the first time that you do it? See, that's where I would want to go with this. But what our brains do is they want to protect us. So they start using this. Well, that didn't work in the past. It won't work in the future. That is not learning from the past, my friend. That is not what that is. That is using an incorrect story from the past to limit what's possible for you in the future. Again, that is just your brain. It does that automatically to try to keep you safe, but we have to start to catch it and notice when it's happening. If you could never do what's never done, then nothing new would ever happen. Let me say that again. If you could never do what's never been done, then nothing new would ever happen. I feel like Dr. Seuss. (laughs) Okay? So this logic doesn't make sense. Again, I agree, let's learn from the past. But learning from the past is a question of data versus drama. Because when you tell me you're learning from the past, but then you share with me this story that you've created that's not based on facts, it's based on fiction, it's based on the story your brain created around the facts, that's not learning from the past, okay? That's your fear trying to protect you from growth that's uncomfortable. The truth is that anything is possible in the future. If you have a big goal, do you need to learn from the past? Absolutely. But let me tell you some things that my brain, see, this is a big one for me because I have a very loud inner voice and it is very skeptical. (laughs) And I don't know if you guys know this about me, but my grandparents on my mom's side, they met at Columbia University getting their PhDs in organic chemistry. So I was raised in a very science background family where we have debates at every family dinner and you have to know how to make an argument. So my brain from birth has been trained on how to like think critically and find holes in arguments and things like that. So my brain can really manipulate the crap out of me when I'm scared because it uses all this like seemingly scientific evidence that actually falls apart when questioned. So 
some things I used to think were not possible, that it's not possible to build a million dollar business in your 20s. I was just like, there's no way, unless you're like such an anomaly, you can't be a normal person. Well, I now have friends in their 20s with multiple seven-figure businesses, and they are delightful people. And so that really started to, oh, well, I guess that's not true, right? So what I want you guys to do is I want you to think about what is it that you don't think is possible for you? Is it that you don't think it's possible for you to make $10,000 a month? with services. Okay, go find examples of people doing that so that you can make your lizard brain shut up about that, okay? Do you not think it's possible for someone with your particular background or from your part of the world or your ethnicity or race, your religion, your age, your um, education level, your first language, your whatever it is, I want you to try to find examples of someone like you who's done the thing. And here's the thing. There might not be, but I want you to try. But just remember, even if there's not, that doesn't mean you can't be the first. We have just elected in the United States our first woman, black, Asian vice president. If Kamala Harris had decided that because it's never happened before, it can't happen, right? Like I said, this was my Dr. Seuss thing, right? If she had said, I can never do what's never been done before, well, then it can never happen, right? But she didn't. And so I want you to consider that. Maybe in some areas you do need to be the first because there has never been anyone just like you with your exact background. So I don't want you to like go too detailed in the sort of like searching for evidence, but I do want you to look for people who you can relate to, who you see yourself in, who are successful at the thing you're trying to do specifically so that you can start to show your brain evidence that it's possible. And I really believe that this is where, you know, people have that whole like, um, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I don't, totally believe that that's true. I think that's like an oversimplification, reductive thing to say. But I think there's something to that. And I do think it's because when you get yourself in a group of people, in a space, in a community where you see something's possible for someone who you can relate to on a certain level that you didn't think was possible for you before, you suddenly rise to the occasion. When I join um, high-level coaching programs, I'm always kind of, I feel like the weakest link in the program. I'm always like, oh my God, I don't know why they let me in here. I like, I'm not ready for this. And here's what happens. After a few months, I find that my brain has now found that what the people are doing in that program is normal. You know, the first high-end group coaching program I ever did was around helping us to get to $100,000 a year. That sounded crazy to me at the time. Then I did one on scaling my my course, right? I didn't think that was possible. I did not think that, that it was possible to hit the goals that I hit, but it started to become normalized. And then I joined a program to create uh, my high-end group coaching program, Yay for 100K, and that blew my mind more than anything, blew it wide open, but now it's normal. And so I don't want you to look for evidence in your past about what's possible for your future. I want you to learn. I want you to scrutinize. I want you to analyze what happened in your past to learn from it. But your future is wide open and anything is possible for you. You just need to find examples of people doing it and learn from then. Okay? So that's my little rant on number two, which is your past is not your future. Belief number three that I want you to adopt is that business is just a game. You're just moving pieces on a chessboard. You're just, you know, 
buying property on boardwalk. You're just passing go and collecting $200. That's all that's happening here. As you play the game, you get better. I want to tell you guys a little story. Back in 2015, my husband, then boyfriend, Momo, his name's Muhammad, but I call him Momo just so you guys know, um, we played a lot of chess in the summer of 2015. It was fun. It was a unique summer and Momo got really into chess. And so I was playing chess with him because obviously like I lived with him and so he needed someone to play chess with. And when I would play chess with him, he was actually, I mean, he still is, he's actually pretty good. And I had never really played someone who was pretty good. I always played people who like, didn't really play chess. And I didn't realize like, he would actually learn strategies and he would think moves ahead and he would think about what I was going to, I mean, he would think about it so much more at such a higher level than I did. And I remember when I would play him, I lost every time and I would get upset. Some of that is, um, you know, ADHD. <laughs> I can get really frustrated easily. And so I think that was ha- what was happening at, at when we would play chess. I would get really upset and I would make mistakes and then he would take my pieces and I would lose. And after a while, I was just like, oh, I'm so sick of this. But I had this realization one day. We were in Halifax on vacation. And I had this realization because I was working on a launch in my business. And then I would go play chess with him. And then I'd go work on the launch. And I thought, Courtney your business is just like chess. You know, because Momo would say to me, he's like, you can't get so upset. It's just a game and you're learning. And like I said earlier, you can't expect to be great on the first try. It's good to play someone who's better than you so that you can learn from them and you can be challenged. You don't want to play someone who's who's the same level as you. You want to play someone who's better than you so that you can learn. And it's not personal. And so I took those lessons and I obviously, you know, got better at chess. I ended up starting to beat him a little bit. He's still way better than me, but I can hold my own now. And what a satisfying feeling versus giving up and getting emotional because I'm losing all the time. Again, if I made my past my future, I'd say, oh, I lose all the time. I'm never going to win. I'm not good at chess. I'm just going to quit. That's making my past my future. Learning from my past and playing the game, we're going to mix some of these beliefs together. Playing the game is, okay, what have I done in past games that caused me to lose? What was I doing? What's something I can learn and take into the next game and try, right? So that is how I started to detach myself from my business. I started to see my launch as an experiment, It is an experiment, right? We have a hypothesis. My hypothesis is if I launch this program, then I'm, and I use this strategy, I'm going to make $10,000, let's say. Okay. Well, then I do it and I make $7,000. Okay. Now, the wrong thing to do there is go, Oh my God, I suck. It didn't work. I didn't hit my goal. What happened? I need to try a different strategy. That's emotion. That's drama. Instead, we want to go into the data, into the facts, get out of the fiction, into the facts. We need to look at, okay. Well, based on the evidence that I have, based on how many people signed up for my webinar, based on, you know, the average conversion rate, based on, you know, how, like, did I complete the strategy? Did I do all the pieces? Where are the areas that I can improve for the next one? And that is what I want you guys to know going into growing your business as you create more scalable offers and your business becomes bigger than you is that you have to view it as a science experiment. Again, I was raised by scientists. So, (laughs) so this one comes a little bit naturally to me. Every month you get data in your business. You get data, whether you're collecting it or not, it's there on, you know, how many leads do you have? 
How many people uh, inquired about your service? How many clients did you book? How much money did you make from those clients? What does the data say? Now, if you don't know what strategy you're using and you don't know what normal is in, in the data and you don't know what the standards are, well, then how can you possibly know if it's working or not? Your brain is going to tell you it's a flop, it's a failure, it's not working, I need to change this, I need to change that. But you don't have enough data to prove that and you don't even know what the data is supposed to say. That's why it's so important for you to work with somebody who can teach you what that data should look like, what the steps are so you can implement them. We all learn from somebody else. There is always a logical, predictable reason for the results that you get in your business. And it is never because you are not cut out for entrepreneurship. That is never the reason. It's because of, oh, Uh, The messaging here didn't connect. Okay, so we need to tweak that messaging. There's a process for that. Your results are not haphazard. They are not luck. They are not the universe punishing you. That is not what's happening, okay? Are you expecting, A, to win on your first try, to be perfect the first time you do something, and for it to always be that way? Because here's the thing. Entrepreneurs who are successful do not encounter less obstacles and problems and failures. They encounter more. That's something I learned from my past coach, Caitlin Batcher. I want to give her credit for that because it's such a key lesson. In order to be successful, you actually need to encounter more obstacles. So if you think your obstacles are the problem, then you're wrong about the problem. (laughs) You actually need, well, you're right. The obstacles are the problem. You're not reacting to them in the way that's going to give you success. So the difference between somebody that is, you know, let's say objectively hitting bigger numbers with revenue. I I was going to say more successful, but I feel like that's adding a lot of layers of um, judgment onto there. Someone who's objectively making more money, someone who's making six figures and they started making six figures really fast. They are encountering all the same obstacles as you. They're just reacting to them differently. The other piece there is maybe they have more experience from previous years right? They just had more experience. Maybe they had privileges. Maybe they were born with uh, a few steps ahead. All those things are absolutely legitimate and might be possible. The thing is, though, all you have control over is how you react to those obstacles. So you can decide to make it your story that you're not capable Or you can decide that you're going to take that obstacle and you're going to react in a way that's going to help you to get the result that you desire, okay? So that is belief number three, that business is a game. I'm not saying that nothing is personal in business, and I'm not saying that emotions don't have a place in business. I want to be really clear. All I'm saying is I think for a lot of us, it will be healthier for us to have a bigger level of detachment emotionally from the results that our business is getting so we can look at the data and make decisions based on that. Okay, belief number four is slow down to speed up. You've probably heard this one before. People say it all the time, but it's one of those that's like, what does that mean? And I didn't understand this one for a long time. And then when it finally clicked, I was like, oh, that's what I've been doing. (laughs) Okay. So up until now in your business, chances are you've probably been very reactive. 
So when I teach um, creating signature services and booking clients for Yay for Clients, I often talk about the feast and famine cycle. It's very reactive, right? This is how most people start businesses. I need to make money. Go out there. What do people want? Create it. All right. Now I made that. All right. I worked with that person. Now I need more money. Okay. Let me go out and see what people want. It's very reactive. All right. Reacting to what's out there. You say yes to anyone who wants to pay you because you don't want to turn down money. Um, You might be kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall because you're like, oh, I need to make some cash. Why don't I throw together a workshop in two weeks? Or you make these like really quick reactive decisions about what to do that have no long-term intention. There's no plan. It's just like, let's see what works. There is a time and a place for that, but not when you're going to the six-figure and beyond mark. Right now, might be making decisions looking one to three months ahead and oftentimes less than that. So when we have our clients come into Yay for 100K, oftentimes what I notice is they don't plan more than three months ahead. They're looking up three months and that's it. Now, they would love to know in the future beyond that, but because you're so in that, I have to go fast and I have to like make things happen mode, your brain can't. It's not primed to look bigger when you're in that state. When you're thinking bigger, when you start looking at, okay, I'm building this business model because my goal is let's build a $100,000 business like this year, next year we'll do 200, then we'll do 500, whatever it is. Okay, well, what is the optimal business model for me at a $100,000 business? That's what I need to build now versus I need to make money next month. How can I get some quick cash? Very, very different. One is slowed down. One is let me do it thoroughly. Let me do it the way that works. Let me look at the data. The other one is, oh my God, I need a result next week. What can I do to get some quick cash? And it's not just a matter of, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to hit the 100K as fast. Doing those reactive things is actually hurting your business because all that time and energy you spend reacting is time and energy you're not spending building the actual model. So you don't get to have both. I think a lot of people think, oh, I can build that and do reactive stuff. No, you can't. Because if you're in the reactive mode, you can't do the long-term slow building mode. Another sign of this, of like going too fast and being reactive is shiny object or what I'm going to call sexy object syndrome. (laughs) So let me define what I mean by that. And what I think is important for you guys to understand is the Dunning-Kruger effect. I encourage you to go Google the Dunning-Kruger effect so you can see the graph on this. So if you can picture like a a XY axis and then there is a, what would I call it, upside down bell curve. So um, it starts, it starts at the top and then goes down in the middle and then comes back up at the other end. So there's this this U curve, I guess it is a, it is a right way U, upside down bell curve or a U curve um, on this graph. Okay, so that Y axis up and down is the level of confidence that you have, all right? It's your level of comfort, it's confidence, it's feeling good, okay? So that's the up and down, that's the Y axis. The X axis represents the time like just time taking place or your level of expertise or experience, right? Which you gain over time, right? So on the very left side of the graph, you're new, you don't have a lot of experience, no time has passed, okay? It's just started. On the very right side of the x-axis is like the most experience, like whatever that means, right? It's all relative, but let's say that's a year of experience, okay? Just to give some kind of actual tangible numbers here. Okay, so that u-curve, if you draw this out or you look at it, if you're not a visual person, you need to go look at the chart. I understand I'm explaining this in an audio way. That might be really hard to take in. But in the U-curve, it starts at the top, meaning you are never as confident and never as comfortable as when you have 
the least amount of experience and expertise and time, right? So whenever you start something new, it's exciting. It's like, oh, I'm going to join this program and I get this result. Awesome. Yes, let's do it. So then as time goes on, what happens is you gain experience, right? And then that confidence level drops because you start to realize what you don't know. And it's those four quadrants that people talk about sometimes. I love this concept. I use this all the time. It's a great concept in terms of um, understanding how learning happens. So first we have unconscious incompetence. We don't know what we don't know, right? Like I don't know what I don't know about um, building a rocket ship. I have no idea what I don't know. I have no idea what I don't know about like being the president, okay? Then there's conscious incompetence. And conscious incompetence is when you start to learn something and you start to realize just how much you don't know. And that's why on this graph in the Dunning-Kruger effect, or as I like to call it, the Diane-Kruger effect, either way, whatever you call it, as you start to get experience, you lose confidence because you start to realize how much there is that you don't know. That's key. Now we get to the bottom of the U. And what happens at the bottom of the U is you have the least amount of confidence when you're about halfway through, okay? You're about to start getting results, but you're at your lowest rock bottom right now. And at this point, at the bottom of the U, here's what happens. People want to feel good again, and they're not willing to stick it through. So what do they do? They jump right back up to a new thing, a new shiny object, a new sexy strategy. This course isn't working. I'm gonna do that one, whatever it is, okay? And they do it over and over and over again. I have students and clients who I watch this happening. And I can tell them about it all day long, but if they're not ready to see it, they won't, okay? So if you wanna get results, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable in that moment of least comfort, that moment that you are so freaking uncomfortable. This happened to me a couple of weeks ago, just so you know. I was miserable. That's when you know you are about to break through. It's about to happen. This isn't just a nice philosophy. This is how it works because here's what happens. You start to become consciously competent. You start to realize, oh my God, I do know this. I'm getting it. It's happening. Okay. Now you have to think through it, right? It takes energy, takes conscious effort, but you're starting to get results. And then as you keep going with it, it becomes um, subconscious. It just becomes natural for you. So someone like me, I've been launching courses since 2014. Like I could launch courses every week, whatever. Like I've done it so many times. It's consciously, um, sorry, it's unconsciously competent. I just know what I'm doing. But the first one I did, I had a panic attack. The second one, I had a panic attack. The third one, you get the drift, okay? So it's that process of learning that you need to be willing to go through. You have to slow down. You have to slow down and implement and stick the strategy through, not get reactive about jumping up to new strategies every time you get uncomfortable deciding the strategy is not working because of a story in your head about your past that isn't true. See how I'm linking all these beliefs together? They all go together. All right. So when things get hard, don't jump to something else. Oh, maybe I should try membership. Oh, maybe I'll do this. Oh, maybe I'll try a different service. Maybe I'll try a different industry. Maybe I'll change things entirely. I want you to be very cautious about this, especially if you have ADHD like me. This is so, so, so important, but it's important to everyone, (laughs) especially though, if you are the kind of person who jumps around, 
you will not succeed until you stop doing that, okay? Slowing down is all about building something that will last for years. It'll pass the test of time, something that can scale. It's about follow through. It's about sticking with it. It's about taking your focus and putting it in one direction, not seven. You want all your eggs in one basket. I talked about this in a previous episode. I hate this expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Who the heck goes to the grocery store and buys eggs in different baskets? We always have our eggs in one basket. Of course we want that. It would be highly inefficient. If you are saying, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket, you're basically trying to mitigate the chances of dropping eggs, which is you're pretty good at carrying things. Have you ever dropped eggs before? Does that happen very often? No, the chances are low. So let's stop planning our lives around having all our eggs in one basket and instead just be efficient and put all our eggs in one freaking basket, right? So, (laughs) so in that said, what I'm trying to get across in my little rant about eggs is I want you to stick to what you're doing. If you want to launch a successful course, then you need to find the strategy for doing that and you need to follow it through over the long term, not start doing it, decide you don't like it and jump to something else. If you wanna make $100,000, then I want you to ask yourself, okay, over the next 12 months, I wanna make $100,000 and backtrack what is the best way for me to get there in my business instead of where am I right now and how can I make money? very, very different. How can I make money next month is a very reactive, moving fast question. How can I make $100,000 in the next year is a much better slow down, intentional question. And by the way, our first session at the From Service Provider to Course Creator Conference is your 100K roadmap. So we're gonna talk about actually mapping out what that's gonna look like. So if you want the strategy for that $25, you can get it all at the conference. Okay, belief number five, we're almost there, is people pay for results, not hard work. (laughs) One of the reasons you're so busy is because you've been conditioned to believe that the amount of money you deserve is in direct correlation or direct proportion to the effort that you give or the amount of hours that you work. Both of those, whether it's effort or hours or both, there's usually a combination of both, is a trap. That is a trap. This whole hourly wage thing is a trap created by people who are playing the game of business and need labor. They need a resource. So they're paying you for that resource. But the thing is, our entire society is training us to be laborers instead of training us to be successful, right? And I'm not saying everyone should be an entrepreneur. I'm just saying this hourly effort-based, I deserve money when I do this much or whatever. I used to have this thing like, I'm from the Midwest, we're hard workers. I used to have that whole thing. Um, That's just a trap. (laughs) It's not helping anyone. Nobody gets a prize for being the hardest worker. And if they do get a prize, it's definitely not the prize of having the most successful business. Okay. It's that whole working smart versus hard thing. It's seeing it as a game, right? And how am I going to move the pieces in the game? How am I going to build my machine versus I am the machine. I'm going to work really hard and then everyone's going to be proud of me and I'm going to be successful. Stop playing the game of being an hourly laborer where your effort, your your human resource is um, the only way you're making money. Because if your hours and your effort are the only way that you make money, then there is a clear maximum on that because you only have so many hours and only so much energy and effort that you can give. So entrepreneurs don't play that game. They know that their clients 
their students, their customers, pay for results and transformation, not for the effort that went into creating the results or the transformation. Your job is actually not to do the hardest work. It's to do the most efficient work. Your job is to get your clients, your students, well, whoever they are, the result in the most efficient way possible. If it's possible for someone to get the result in a sustainable way in three weeks, why are you making them take three months, right? Again, if it's sustainable, if it's in their interest, right? But this is why I get so frustrated when I see all these coaches have these three and six month coaching packages that make no damn sense to me. That's not a results-based package. That's a time-based package. I wanna know what the result is. Now, every package is gonna have a time base on it, right? But selling it and packaging it as the amount of time is showing that you're playing this hard work laboring game versus the entrepreneur game. Also, it's just not good marketing and positioning. So you should be asking the following questions to figure out how you can get your clients and your customers and your students the transformation they desire in the most efficient way possible. What am I doing that's repeatable and that I could teach someone else to do or train someone else to do? And I'm going to tell you everything. (laughs) Okay. There's very little in your business that is not possible to train someone else to do because you didn't always know how to do what you do. If you're a, a web designer, you didn't always know how to do web design. If you're a, um, you didn't always know how to do it your way, right? Um, if you do SEO, you didn't, you weren't born knowing SEO. SEO probably didn't exist when you were born, right? Um, so everything is is learnable to the right person. And so you can train people to do what you do. You can train them to repeat your process. And that I'm talking at like high level, like your actual services, but there's so much else in there that isn't the actual client work. Things like your admin, your copy, your um, social media management. There's so many things, your bookkeeping that you have to do in a business that is repeatable that you don't necessarily need to be doing. You can also ask, how can I remove myself from the process while ensuring my clients get like amazing results, right? So we're trying to detach your client's results from you physically doing work because money doesn't care about how hard you work and your clients don't care about how hard you work. They want the result. The reason why people get stuck on, I need you one-on-one or I need access to you is because they believe that they need that in order to get the result. But that's just not true. You don't need one-on-one to get a result. Now, one-on-one can be helpful at times, but it's not necessary to get results, okay? Your clients just want the result and they want a positive experience working with you. And the only reason you ever should be looking at like hourly wages or like how much you're making an hour is so that you can assess the efficient use of your resources. It's just to go, okay, if I break it down, I'm making 200 an hour and I really want to be at 500. That means I need to remove myself from a lot of this work and hire someone who's 50 an hour. And then I'm still making 150 an hour on that work, right? That's how an entrepreneur thinks is Like, how do I move those chess pieces around? Not, oh my God, I can't charge 100 an hour because my mom never made that much at her career. Like, that's a story. That's drama. We all have that, right? We all have those stories and that drama. We just need to start practicing not making our decisions based on that. Okay, finally, I know this has gotten really long, um, but uh, mindset shift number six belief I want you to install is that business money is different than personal money. It's all money at the end of the day, but let me explain what I mean by this. So many newer business owners compare their business and personal expenses like as if they are on the same planet. So here's what I mean. Somebody once told me when 
they were going to enroll, enroll in Yay for Clients. I mean, I've heard this a few times, but in Yay for Clients, they said, I'd love to join, but it's more than my rent. And I thought, huh, that's so interesting. Like, what a fascinating comment. And I thought back and I'm like, I don't think I've ever invested in a program that was less than my monthly rent. But here's the thing. I'm thinking about ROI. When I'm paying rent, it's just like I'm paying what I need to live. There's no ROI on my rent. In fact, it's the opposite. It's going down the drain, right? I'm just getting a place to live. That's why people buy houses, because there is an ROI on that. That house is going to appreciate in value over time, ideally, right? So when you're comparing investing in your business to your rent, I find that really interesting. Now, what's fair to say is I don't physically have the money in my account right now because I need to pay my rent and that those are expenses that I have, right? That's data, right? That's actual fact information. But what our brains do is they add this story around, oh my God, that's more than my rent. I can't invest in something that's more than my rent. And I want to challenge you on this because a lot of us are happy to buy things that are normalized, quote unquote, normalized in society that have no ROI on them at all. And then when it comes down to actually investing in our businesses, we're like, oh no, that's expensive. Okay. So what about college. Now, any Americans listening to this who went to college or even went for like a semester, (laughs) that is expensive. My college education cost me at least $50,000 US, right? But I have a French degree. Now, it was a great experience. But if I'm comparing my French degree that I don't think is employable for any specific job to a program I'm currently in that I paid uh, like $25,000 to be in that's helped me made like at least 5X that. Like there's no comparison. There's a direct ROI on one of those things. So I would rather, if it was up to me, and I've, I actually have done this, so I'm gonna tell you. I have in my past as an entrepreneur, we did not have a car because every time I went to think about buying a car, I was like, I could buy a car, but that's at least, let's say like for like a solid, like fairly decent car, we're talking like $10,000. I could use that $10,000 and invest it in my business. That car has depreciating value. Now at a certain point, it's like that car is ease and I can get to appointments. It's saving me time. And I started to see the value on that, but I did not get a car in my personal life. I got it two years ago almost exactly to the day, two years ago, because I was seeing that not having a car was costing me more time, which is then valuable to me because time is my most finite resource, right? So that's when the car was important to me. iPhones. So many people buying the latest iPhone and spending money on that. No big deal. Get the latest iPhone. And yet, this just happened to me like this week. So this year, I have had to upgrade my Apple products because it's been about five years and unfortunately my MacBook died in July and I went to the Apple store and I'd been really wanting to get an iPad Pro for years and I was like, you know what? Instead of replacing the the laptop, I'm gonna get an iPad Pro because I really wanted the writing ability and I mean, that was like really the most important thing and drawing and all of that. So I got the iPad Pro and I use it to this day. I literally am reading my podcast notes. I handwrite everything and put them on my iPad. Love it. Saved me so much time. I'm more creative, better organized ideas. I don't lose my notes everywhere. I'm not using as much paper. It's awesome. Well, then a couple months later, I was like, realized that I needed to replace my iMac as well. So I bought a 27 inch iMac. Well, that iMac, about $2,000, that is 
literally the tool I use every day in my business. There is no tool I use more than that computer. So $2,000 to run a multi-six-figure business is a no-brainer to me. Absolute no-brainer. And especially, you know, I just talked about, like, you need to be making decisions about where you want to go, not where you are right now. I'm thinking, we're headed to a million. A million-dollar business owner is going to buy the freaking iMac. Like, that's not even going to be a question. Not because, oh, I have all the money. It's fine. It's frivolous. It's because this is your most important tool. Okay, so I did that in September. Well, a couple weeks ago, I realized, you know what? I really do need to replace that that MacBook. Like I need a laptop because the iPad is so great. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. No regrets. Um, But at the same time, there's times I want to like sit on the couch and work or I go out to work or things like that. And I'm thinking ahead of like, you know, when we start traveling and things, I can't just exclusively work on my iPad. So I went to get a MacBook. Now, I cannot tell you how many people have seemed so shocked that I have bought this many Apple products in the last six months, (laughs) not even four or five months. And yet, These items are directly investments in my business growth, whereas so many people buy iPhones and fancy shoes and purses, which I own none of. I have the iPhone, but like I don't own fancy things and we don't bat an eye. But when it comes to ROI in our business, we don't think of it that way. We compare our personal finances and our business finances as if it's the same realm. It's not the same thing. You cannot approach your business money the same way you approach your personal money and vice versa. It's just not healthy. So I want to share with you a couple of specific differences, okay? So your business money Uh, is you need to look at using money as a tool to make more money, i.e. investing in the growth of your business, whether that's, you know, investing in Facebook ads directly or coaching or team or software, whatever that is, right? In business, your expenses directly lead to ROI. You should never be paying for something in your business that's not gonna help your business make more money. That's the fuel for a business. So if there's someone on your team that is costing you more money than your business can afford, then you need to get rid of that role or shrink it or whatever because that doesn't make any sense, okay? Expenses are like software team coaching training, things like that are going to help your business to make more money. Your business money is not your personal money. So what I mean by that is um, it's an entity outside of you. You need to view it that way even if you're a sole proprietor. It's in a different bank account, please, hopefully. It's not like I made $100,000 this year. So that's where so many people think, oh, once my business makes $100,000, I had someone tell me once, I would get a massage every day. I'm like, have you done the math on that? That would cost $100,000. Like, it's not that much money. And you're going to be investing more and your expenses are going to go up. So your business expenses, when you have $100,000 business, are going to be way more than your rent, my friend. (laughs) Way more if you're doing it the right way. These expenses are tax deductible. You're not paying tax on all of that money. You're not paying taxes if you had $100,000 of income. You're paying tax on the amount that's left over after your expenses. Um, The deductible ones are, um, you know, subtracted from that. And your business itself is an asset. You working in it, you investing in it, you, you know, whatever you're doing with your business is a direct investment in your wealth. Wealth, capital W, is creating money in the long term, okay? Now, let's contrast that to your personal money. In our personal money, we're often thinking about the quote-unquote cost of living. So we're comparing in personal money, we often can compare like, 
oh, I have this, like, my rent's this much. How much is yours? Like, when I live in Vancouver, like, there's a, you know, a living wage and there's all these, like, this is the standard and all of that. But we can compare to, you know, like, bread costs this much, milk costs this much, all of that. And that's not how it works in business. We don't think of it that way. We're thinking about it as how do we invest in the business to then, you know, put $3 in and get $5 out, right? In our personal place, we're trying to figure out like, okay, am I living comparable to other people in my area? And our emphasis in our personal life is on saving money. You might be doing some uh, saving for retirement, which is technically investing, but it's more emphasis on saving money. You know, can we spend less on that? Can we spend less on rent? You know, what's our budget for that? Da, 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 da. And I'm not saying in business we don't worry about budgeting and, and like making sure we compare costs of things and things like that, but there's no ROI on your rent. <laughs> there's no ROI on your car. There's no ROI um, monetarily on, you know, having a fancy handbag. Okay, those expenses are not deductible. And so your personal expenses are much more status quo and they're much more based on like, this is how you were raised, this is where you came from. This, a lot of us, that's where we're really wrapped up in those sort of standards. And our business is our opportunity to like get into a totally different place in our lives. And in order to do that, we need to view it differently. I hope this is making sense because this is one of the first times I've really like gone into this topic deep. So a couple of things I want you to consider in terms of your business expenses. Number one, whenever spending money in your business, you need to be asking yourself, what is the ROI on this? I do this when I buy a computer, when I hire a team member, when I pay for a software. It's all about the ROI. If I have that thing, how is that going to lead to the business making more money? I can't do that in my personal life the same, okay? The next thing I want you to do is I want you to put yourself on a salary and I want you to actually pay yourself from one account to another account. If your finances are not separated, that is the very first thing you need to do. I want you right now to go open a bank account, like do it online if you can. Um, and what you'll do is you're going to just, you can just transfer. This is all I do, by the way, transfer money from my business account to my personal account. And that's my salary. And it's a fixed amount every month unless there's like a bonus I want to give myself or something like that. But I treat it as an expense of my business and I get the same salary every single month. All right. So this was so much juicier than I was expecting. You guys We're at one hour with today's podcast, but this mindset stuff is, I hope, well worth your hour because this is going to re- wire the pathways in your brain so that you can actually achieve that six-figure business. And we didn't talk a lot today about strategy. I didn't talk to you about how to. I talked to you about how you think, how you think about yourself, how you think about your business, how you think about your money, how you think about your results, how you think about the strategies that you're using. It's a game, right? And how you think about your goals, slowing down, looking at the big picture, making sure implementing a big picture strategy, not just reacting to what you need to do in the next couple of months. So that said, as you know by now, next week is our virtual conference. You are well like warmed up and equipped to attend next week's conference after listening to this episode. But if you don't have your ticket yet, please go over to CourtneyShaw.com forward slash conference and invite your friends because it's way more fun to attend a conference with friends and you guys can do some Zoom chats and you can hang out and you can kind of create that atmosphere of, you know, being at an in-person event, which I would love to do sometime, maybe next year, maybe the year after once um, all of this craziness is over and it's safe and we can do so and feel good about it. But for now, 
This is the opportunity, $25 for two days of sessions. You get seven days access to all the recordings. So even if you can't make it live, we're doing a special bonus day on Thursday as well. So go over to CourtneyShell.com forward slash conference to get the details. Thank you so much for spending the past hour with me and I will chat with you next week. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you love today's content and are ready to finally start making a full-time income from your business this year, make sure to get on the wait list for my program, Yay for Clients, over at yayforclients.com, and you'll be notified the next time enrollment is open. Or if you're already booked with clients and you want to learn how you can turn your signature service into a signature program and add 100K of revenue to your bottom line, come apply to my group coaching program, Yay for 100K, over at CourtneyShaw.com forward slash apply. Thanks again and have an awesome day.